throwing out announcements um, while we're waiting to get started. I want to remind you guys about the newsletter, which um, we know that very many of you guys are not on uh, signed up for. <laughs> so it's like the easiest way to, to get all the info in one spot. We send it out once a week. And it's all just raw info, not like Old Navy sale, 20% off and that kind of junk. So if you're someone who would like it all in one spot, you don't have to chase things down and and also don't want to miss stuff and you know embarrass yourself and your friends, then sign up for the newsletter. I'll post the link in the chat. And also it's just deadnorthchurch.com slash newsletter. All right. Well, we've got three things to do uh, today, three kind of different things. Um, three different things to do today. Uh, and uh, one of them, which we'll probably end with, is picking sermon series topics for uh, next semester. So within the three categories that we've, we've picked. Um, the second thing is we've got the worship activity, which you can kind of be thinking about now, which was kind of phrased like, um, how have you seen God be a gift to you uh, in this last year? Like what, how, um, that one's kind of hard for me to think about. Maybe it's easier to think what gift God has given you. But again, the point is not so much on the gift itself. It's on God when we're talking about worship stuff. And so I don't know if we can post that prompt somewhere. If someone has that prompt from last time, to pull it off of Facebook and we can do that. That would be excellent. But the first thing I want to do is just give a, kind of a, a charge, challenge, encouragement on the season of Advent. Uh, many of us probably don't pay much attention to that unless we grew up in uh, the Catholic Church or in a liturgical tradition. And so I want to give you just a few thoughts, and then we're going to read a pretty good chunk of scripture uh, about a um, about a chapter and a half coming out of Matthew 24. And we'll popcorn that just so that everyone gets a chance to kind of read. Um, that's fun. Why not? Um, but yeah, Advent, you know, the idea of Advent is interesting. It, it simply is a word that means sort of, um, coming of age or, uh, being brought out of something. The interesting thing about Advent in the way that we've practiced it in years past is it's a little bit like a child celebrating Christmas. You know, you're like super excited about it. And then Christmas day comes and you kind of, your excitement sort of wanes. I mean, yeah, you're still off of school, but, you know, I don't know if you guys ever felt that feeling after Christmas of just sort of like a letdown, uh, maybe even up to New Year's. And we treat Advent a little bit like that in Jesus's birth because we forget that Advent is a season, which means that it's, it has like a certain amount of days. And I think what, what we've lost is the second part of Advent, which is Jesus coming back. It's the second coming. Advent isn't just about Jesus's birth. It's about the end of that period between his birth and him coming back again. But Christians, we don't really talk a lot about that. And it's unfortunate because the scripture talks a whole lot more about Jesus coming back. Uh, and there's a building of excitement towards that, one that won't let us down like Christmas or, uh, you know, the end of something we've been really expecting and excited about. And so I want to focus a little bit on that this morning of the sort of major part of Advent is not about Jesus' birth, but is about his birth symbolizing something that's going to be much more significant, and that's our actual rebirth in heaven um, in, you know, Jesus's sort of second, second coming. So I want to read Matthew 24 through 25 and then just share a few thoughts 
about the idea of um, the most important advent happening and the most important advent we celebrate during this season is Jesus returning, uh, not, not his, his birth. So let's start with, uh, I'll read the first part there because we're going to kind of, we're going to read all the way to the end of 25, uh, but uh, we're going to start in 24 verse, I think it's like 30, I can't remember, I'm going to pull it up here, I don't even have it up. So if you want to pull up Matthew uh, 24, that would be helpful because we are going to popcorn read this together. I know how much you guys love popcorn reading. We'll start in verse 36. And the goal here in reading this passage is just to kind of get a grasp of um, what, it, what it means to consider uh, Jesus's coming back. Uh, his, his sort of, I won't call it second birth because that doesn't really make sense, but uh, the sort of ending part of Advent season. Um, him actually returning, all right, and what that scripture says about this. I'll have to caution those of you uh, who uh, were Pentecostal when you're young and maybe triggered by the, uh, you know, rapture comments like my wife. Just, uh, you know, for a moment, put that rapture stuff aside for a second, because I don't think that's the focus of this passage. All right, so verse 36, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven. Of course, he's talking about the hour when he returns, nor the son, but only the father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the son of man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the son of man. Two men will be in a field. One will be taken. The other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch. and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. A faithful and sensible servant is one whom the Lord, uh, the one whom the master can give responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there'll be a reward. I tell you the truth. The master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant is evil and thinks, my master won't be back for a while, and he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk? The master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut the servant into pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, okay. uh, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both, both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. The door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, 
I do not know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Again, it would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His masters replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things I've put in charge of you. I'll, I'll put in charge of you many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your bag in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on the deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag, so, so take the bag of gold from him and give it to one of who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and there will be an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw the worthless servant outside into the darkness where they were weeping, they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Um, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. 
They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Excellent. Thank you guys for reading through that. So I want you to, this Advent season, um, to kind of rather than thinking about cute little baby in the manger and frankincense and, you know, fun decorations, to really think through, are you prepared for Jesus coming back? And if you look back through what he's saying there, he's simply saying these people had their priorities right. They took care of people. They took care of their finances. They took care of the things that need to be taken care of. And in doing so, Jesus took particularly how they treated people directly personal to him, uh, how much they cared for the people around them. And so as we near the end of the year, prepare for the next year, take this Advent season to really think through the idea of are you prepared for Jesus' return? Um, and, uh, you know, because that's ultimately what this, uh, this, these, two, these passages are encouraging. It's for people not to think that somehow Jesus is far off. Uh, but to think of him as the master returning, which is an exciting thing, about to be getting married, whatever it is, these are all exciting things that are going to happen. Uh, and unlike Christmas here and then gone, and then we're depressed again in January and February, uh, as Christians, we have hope uh, in the Advent season of Christ's return and making things right. But we live out that return in our lives each day. So I just wanted to give you that thought uh, for uh, the next few weeks while we're, while we're done. Uh, questions or comments on that before we uh, move into our worship activity of giving gifts? Great. So I'm not for sure how we're going to break up, uh, honestly. I think maybe someone's prepared for that, but who knows? Um, again, we posted the uh, prompt here, what gift from this year has demonstrated the heart of God to you. All right. And so this is a partially a sharing time. And it's also partially if you want to respond to someone else's gift with the three prompts that we normally have. Uh, what does this show about God's heart? Um, you know, what might, be he say, what might he be saying to you or to our church? And then uh, how would you respond to that? That's great as well. All right. So yeah, how are we gonna break those up? Josh, you guys know? Uh, Brad, I was gonna do it today. Okay, let's do it. Yeah. Okay, cool. So for, yeah, so for worship today, we're going to reflect and remember the gift of the birth of Jesus. Um, we have given you the prompt in advance, so that's bring a gift from this year that has demonstrated the heart of God to you. If you have not uh, thought of something to share yet, that's okay. Um, there's still time. So the gift you share about today can be about how like someone helped you out this year, um, their generosity displayed God's kindness to you. Um, you could share about like a difficult challenge or obstacle you had to overcome um, but how God gifted you in the ways to overcome it. So if you have something tangible to show to the group that exemplifies this gift, that's great. Um, but if not, a story or explanation is also great. So I'm going to read to you guys like a brief Christianity Today article to get us started. Um, and after I read that, I'll break up, we'll break up into groups and share. Um, just remember to start your group off with prayer. Don't feel rushed. Um, we can have multiple people pray and then share the prompt of what gift from this year has demonstrated the heart of God to you. So uh, I need to share my screen. <laughs> okay, so this is a, why Jesus, not salvation, is God's greatest gift to us. 
Jesus is the greatest gift there is. That is a staple of Christian theology, not to mention Christmas cards. Yet as soon as we hear this statement, we're apt to collapse into a statement about some other gift, like salvation. Being given Jesus in our minds quickly morphs into being given forgiveness or rescue of eternal life. Jesus himself is the gift who perfectly embodies God's generosity and goodness, gets bumped to the third page. The Gospels don't do that. From his incarnation to his ascension, Jesus Christ puts the liber liberality and um, largest of God's on display. It is not just at the cross or even in the resurrection that Jesus represents the grace, the gift give givingness of God to us. In every miracle, every parable, simply by being in the world at all, Jesus is proclaiming, God is good, he loves giving, and I'm here among the other things to prove it. Many parables in the gospels present God as an irrepressible giver even when the parable has other goals. Once there was a farmer who scattered seed so liberally that most of it did not take root. Once there was a king who forgave a debt of 10,000 talents, like millions of dollars today. Once there was a vineyard owner who gave people far more than what their work was worth. Once there was a father who gave away half of his estate to a rebellious son and then gave him a feast when he came crawling back, having wasted it all. Once there was a nobleman who gave three months wages to all his employees and then went on a foreign trip. Once there was a landowner who gave his vineyard over to tenants. Once there was a king who gave wedding invitations to every undesirable uh, and uh, to every undesirable in the country county. It is hard to think of a parable in which the God figure is not giving away far more than he should. There is an extravagance verging on wastefulness to Jesus's miracles as well. How many weddings need 150 gallons of fine wine? Why can't someone who miraculously multiplies bread and fish avoid over-catering by 12 baskets? If you could heal someone with a word, why would you wait three days before raising him, putrid grave cloths and all, before the whole village? Why walk on water rather than swim? Why calm a storm rather than waiting a day to go sailing? Why should a death cause not just earthquakes, dark skies, and torn curtains, but also dozens of random people coming to life? Who produces 153 fish out of nowhere, nearly causing the boat carrying them to sink? Who does it twice? We could go on. We could study Jesus's most famous sermon, chock full of invitations to ask, seek, knock, and trust that the father who clothes the flowers will give good things to his children rather than snakes, stones, and scorpions. We could walk through his remarkable teaching in John's gospel on the gift of the Holy Spirit. We could take the Lord's Supper and reflect on his gift of bread and wine, body and blood. Wherever we look, Jesus is talking about sharing and acting and ultimately being the Father's gift to us. For all this, the cross and resurrection remain its most astonishing expression. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Notice that in each of these texts, the gift is Jesus, not freedom, forgiveness, justification, adoption, or whatever. Of course, those things are wonderful, and of course, God gives them as well. But the logic of Paul's rhetorical, 
rhetorical question in Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Is that Jesus himself, rather than anything else in creation, is the most costly and bountiful gift God could give? If we have been given Jesus, we will be given all things on his coattails. So the Christmas card, yeah, so the Christmas cards are right. Jesus is the greatest gift there is, not as a means to an end, but as the end itself, the source of all joy, the ultimate demonstration of God's goodness, generosity, receive and give thanks. All right, so now we're going to break into groups. Um, we will give a little more time for our groups today, like about 20 minutes. So this should give more than enough time for everyone to share something if they would like. And again, the prompt is to share a gift from this year that has demonstrated the heart of God to you. All right. So we don't have a ton of time. We're only going to take about 10 minutes uh, in the chat. If you'll notice, there are the three options uh, for that you guys sort of voted for for our sermon series next semester. We're going to break these up and do all three, although um, Drew just told me that it sounds like Focus is going to do a series on biblical ethics next year. So we'll leave, leave that one for last, just in case it's um, overdone um, and we'll choose something else. But anyway, if you look at the chat and pick one of those, I need you to put a number uh, in the chat so that we can start splitting you up. Um, as soon as your groups are kind of firm in terms of uh, you know, everyone's there. You need to have one person that can either record or take notes, really good notes, so that we will know what sermon topics you guys have suggested. Um, so the three options there are God versus Jesus. Uh, I, I, every time I read that, I think like Godzilla versus something else. I don't, I can't. Not <laughs> hey, Brad. Uh, I don't know if anyone else can't see it, but we can't see it in the chat. Yeah, I don't have it in the chat. Oh, it's, it must be because I did it in the breakout group. Maybe oh, yeah. just for the breakout group. Weird. Okay, cool. Um, so God versus Jesus, the spirit of God and the Holy Spirit, Old Testament law and the ethics of Christianity. Remember, the idea is to talk about the consistency of scripture from New Testament to Old Testament. That's our kind of major theme. These are just three things that we're going to talk about. So let me give you a couple ideas in each one of these, just so you can kind of be thinking about what the topics are. Like the God versus Jesus one, uh, one person had the idea that God spent a lot of time seemingly working among the nations in the Old Testament. So why does that seem to stop in the New? Okay, so the fundamental difference between how God works in the Old Testament versus how Jesus worked in the New Testament. Um, the New Testament authors use a lot of Old Testament and figurative ways versus literal ways. Uh, and even just the fulfillment of Jesus in the, the New Testament. So some of just the issues relating to, um, you know, that. Uh, Old Testament versus New Testament. Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit, um, you know, a topic there is like Israel experienced uh, some of, of the Holy Spirit, but they experienced it kind of collectively. And then in the new, we sort of each get one individually. Uh, so like, what's up with that? Why does that make a lot of sense? <laughs> what's the purpose? Why not give people the Spirit way back when? Um, and even just the idea of like God's people living in exile, um, the whole idea of exile was basically um, based on like that they didn't have a place uh, of, of their own. And yet as Christians, we have no place of our own. Like God puts his place in us. So it's just such a different idea, the temple worship versus, you know, us being a temple. The Old Testament laws and ethics of Christianity, uh, you know, obviously one of the big ones is like loving your enemies. 
Like, did that just happen in the New Testament? Because it seemed like in the Old Testament, we just killed our enemies. <laughs> so, um, you know, thorny questions like that. Uh, and even just the, like the idea of prophets uh, and, um, you know, do they exist anymore? How should we think about our voice to the world? That kind of stuff. So those would be like examples. So I need you guys to start putting those in the chat. One, two, or three. You're, you're only coming up with ideas based on the one you're picking. That's it. So like literally you get in and we'll take 10 minutes and you're just going to suggest something that you think would be really helpful for the church to hear or something you're really interested in talking about that relates to one of those three topics. And the reason we're doing this, even though it seems cumbersome and difficult and kind of challenging is because you know, it was really helpful to have your feedback last semester um, on, uh, on these topics. Really super helpful. Um, that way we can actually plan our sermon series according to uh, the things that you don't. If you don't choose something, then you'll probably just be randomly uh, put in a group. All right. We'll start working that out. We'll take a little bit of time here. Um, but again, we'll break from there. And I know we're going a little bit long today. Sorry about that. But I wanted to be able to get these topics wrapped up over the break um so uh yeah you guys uh, i'll say a prayer and um we'll see you guys in a couple weeks when we're back together in, in about two weeks god thank you so much for the gift that you've given us in jesus um help us to take time uh, in, in the spirit just thinking through our preparedness for you um, how we can be more prepared for your return uh, living the kind of life that uh, that you've called us to uh, and help us just to think through that this season uh, and not be distracted by all the glitter and lights and everything else around us. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.